Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. You know, when I was a a young man in ministry, I was uh, serving my church as a youth pastor, and I received an angry email from one of the parents. And this wasn't the first one I had gotten from them before, Uh, but what made this one different was that they CC'd the senior pastor. Don't you hate when people do that? When they copy your boss on the email instead of just coming directly to you? And so now I'm all ticked off, and so I begin to explain to uh, my boss, the senior pastor, via email, how this person is a chronic complainer, how their own kids don't even like them, and I've gotten to the point where I don't even listen to a word they say, send, and then I had that moment. Did I hit reply or reply all? I bet every one of you has that horror story of when you hit that dreaded reply all button and you went into a list of recipients and realized that you thought you're responding to one person, but you just responded to 75 coworkers, and now you're trying to walk that thing back. Oh, you can just uh, delete that last email I sent. Please, for the love of God, delete that last email that I sent. And so I look in the recipients list, and there it is, as plain as day, I replied right back to that parent, all of those negative things I said. Within 60 seconds, they wrote back in all caps, calling for my head. And like I said, I was a young man in ministry, and I learned a lot of tough lessons that day. One of which is never try to deal with conflict over email. But the second is this. We're going to have a lot of difficult people in our lives. And how you reply to them is critical. It could make or break the relationship. Now, I'm curious. Show of hands in the room. How many of you would say right now you are dealing with a difficult person or people in your life right now? Put your hands up all around the room. Okay. For those of you who didn't put your hands up, I've got some bad news. You're the difficult person. We're all trying to work around. (laughs) Now listen, we're all going to have difficult people in our lives. In the Old Testament, uh, David was somebody who had lots of dysfunctional relationships, lots of difficult people. And so my hope over the course of the next five weeks is that we could look at some of those relationships and draw some wisdom from God's Word to help us deal with the difficult people in our lives. So here's the plan. Today, our focus is going to be when the problem is your family. Next week, we're going to talk about when the problem is your child. Week three, when the problem is your boss. Week four, when the problem is your spouse or significant other. And then we're going to wrap things up when the problem is yourself. So for today, We are going to be in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel 16. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, make your way to 1 Samuel 16. If not, we'll show the verses up here on the screen. And where we pick things up in the life of David this week is when he is a young man. And the king in power at the time is a man named Saul, a.k.a. the people's choice. See, God wanted to be the king over Israel, but they rejected God and said, no, we need a real king like all the other nations have. So God gave them a man named Saul, a 30-year-old guy, tall, handsome. He looked the part, but what he lacked was character. And eventually his integrity was exposed, and so God said, we need to pick a new king. That's where we find ourselves in 1 Samuel 16. Read along with me, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? 
Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So the namesake of this book is the prophet Samuel. And remember, the Bible was still being written back then. And so people didn't have a, a central source they could go to where they could learn about the heart of God like we have with the Bible. So instead, God sent prophets. And when a prophet spoke, it would be good to listen because their words were God's words. And this particular prophet, Samuel, received instruction from God to go to Bethlehem and find some guy named Jesse because one of his sons is going to be the next king. Let's continue to read verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. So it was a little scary when a prophet showed up in your town, and people started kind of freaking out a little bit. Oh no, what do we do? Did someone sin against God? Are we going to have some kind of consequence? It's kind of like when you're driving in your car, and a police officer comes up behind you but doesn't turn his flashing lights on. And so you got your hands at 10 and 2, and you're looking up in that rearview mirror thinking, okay, did I speed? Did I roll through a stop sign? Is my registration up to date? Same kind of thing. And so they're, they're scared. Samuel, everything okay? Yeah, I, I come in peace. I'm just looking for the house of Jesse. Word travels quick to Jesse, and so he and his sons come out to meet the prophet Samuel. Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So the first of Jesse's sons that was paraded across Samuel's line of sight was the oldest, named Eliab. And the prophet's first instinct was, there he is, there's the next king. Because Eliab looked kingly, tall, handsome, strong, warrior-like, similar to the king that was already in power, King Saul, the one God already rejected. Isn't it amazing how fast we could fall for another person based just on their looks? God, however, faces no such temptation. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. There's a whole sermon on just that one verse alone, isn't there? You see, all of us can project some kind of public image to win affirmation. We could all be pretty or handsome or funny or charming. You could act professional or compassionate or concerned. All of us are capable of doing that. But here's the one thing you can't hide, character. That always comes out. And that's also what God is the most concerned with. He doesn't get caught up in the outward. He's taking a look at the inward. And he sees Eliab and says, nope, not the guy. Who else you got, Jesse? Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to them, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Eliab, nope. Abinadab, nope. Shammah, nope. Sons four, five, six, and seven, nope, 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 and nope. The prophet had to be thinking, this guy's got a lot of sons. And God told me one of them is going to be king, and so far we're 0 for 7. Jesse, is there something you're not telling me? Verse 11. Well, there's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Ever been overlooked by a parent? 
Jesse's youngest son was so insignificant, he wasn't even invited to come out out and meet the prophet. And Samuel said, hey, none of us are even sitting down until that boy gets out here. Go get him. Verse 12. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So in walks a young man named David, probably between the ages of 10 and 15. And Samuel is struck by his appearance as well. I actually prefer a different translation of the same verse. This is the ESV. It says in verse 12, he sent and brought him in. Now David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. That term ruddy refers to reddish hair, which was unusual in a region of the world where most people have black hair. David had a nice disposition about him. There was just something about this young man that drew Samuel in. Verse 12, then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So right then and there, in the presence of his dejected father, in the presence of his rejected brothers, David was anointed as the next king. Can't you just feel the family drama stirring? I wonder how many of you, when you were younger and your parents had to step out for a couple of hours, put one of your siblings in charge. It was almost always the oldest, right? And if, you, if you're a younger sibling, you understood this. This is just basic math. Okay, big sister's 15. I'm only 14. Of course, she's the one in charge, right? But can you imagine a parent lining up eight siblings and going down to the youngest and saying, little Davy, you're in charge of everybody else. It would be World War III in your home. <laughs> I'm like, this kid is the one in charge? He wet his bed like three days ago. <laughs> and you remember the time he got his head stuck in the rail and we had to put Crisco on there to pull him off? Is this really the person you want to entrust caring for your kids, mom, really? How many of you have an older sibling? Raise your hand if you have an older sibling. Okay, so all of you know, it doesn't matter what you accomplish in life. It doesn't matter how important you become. You will always be the kid brother or kid sister. <laughs> you could be the president of the United States. Now, President Biden is the oldest of his siblings, but former President Trump had both an older brother and an older sister. And don't you wonder if they razzed him even after he became president? You know, hey, Donnie, remember that time we locked you in your room and you started crying because you were afraid of the dark? You know, do not call me Donnie. I am president of the United States. You can call me Mr. President if you choose. Okay, Mr. Donnie. You know, don't you wonder what his, how his older siblings treated him? Anyone who has an older sibling understands this, especially if you have an older brother. In 1 Samuel 16, the youngest was anointed in front of all of his older brothers. How do you think that went over? Not well. How do we know? Because they show their true colors in the next chapter at the scene of a famous battle. Jump forward with me to 1 Samuel 17. We're gonna pick things up in verse eight. It says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve 
us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. This is the setup of one of the most famous characters in the Old Testament, Goliath, the nine-foot-tall champion of the Philistines, the bitter enemy of the Israelites. And all of the Israel's armies were lined up on this side. All the Philistines' armies were lined up on this side. And every single day, the nine-foot-tall Goliath would come out to the middle and mock God and taunt the Israelites. Say, who's, who's going to fight me? And he'd laugh and he'd make a big deal out of it. Let's continue to read. This is verse 13. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So part of that army that was quaking in fear every time Goliath spoke were the three older brothers of David, whom we just got introduced to in the previous chapter. David was not in the army, however, probably because he was too busy working two full-time jobs. See, David was a skilled musician, and King Saul employed David to come and play his harp for the king whenever he was tormented by an evil spirit. So when David was done playing for the king, he would then rush home and tend to his father's sheep. So he had two full-time jobs, but on this day, his father gave him a special instruction. Verse 17, Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Ella fighting against the Philistines. So in addition to being the king's personal musician and being a shepherd, now David works for Uber Eats. His dad's got him bringing cheese and crackers to the battle lines. And amazingly, David agrees. Verse 22 David left his things with the keeper of his supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. So David's mission was to go get intel, go report back to daddy that the three oldest sons were okay. But while he's there, he's stunned by the thundering voice of Goliath coming out and mocking God. And so David simply hears this and starts to ask a question to those in the camp. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Apparently, this little kid David was the only one not quaking in fear on the battle lines. And so he asked the question, hey, is anybody going to do something about this knucklehead who keeps dragging the name of my God through the mud? David asked the question, but the response he got back was probably not one he was expecting. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? I mean, does this sound like a conversation you had with some family members in the past year? I bet it does. I mean, David's older brother came at him. First, he made fun of his job. Hey, who's watching those dumb little sheep that you're caring for? 
Then he attacked his character. Hey, you're a conceited and wicked little punk. And then he questioned his motives. What, are you bored at home? You want to come out here and see the real men do battle? So just a bit of a review on David's life. His own father overlooked him. Didn't even think he was a possibility to be king, so didn't even invite him out to meet the prophet Samuel. His brothers can't stand him, specifically his older brother who's really going after him. And all the while, a massive question mark hangs over David's head. Where is his mother in all of this? David's mother is never mentioned in the scriptures by name, fueling many scholars to believe that David's mother was a prostitute a prostitute who is impregnated by David's father, Jesse. This might be an explanation for why he had red hair. In fact, David himself said these words in Psalm 51.5. He said, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. If we take that literally, David was suggesting that his very conception happened in an act of sin. So if this is true... David's father was likely embarrassed of him, his brothers wouldn't accept him, and his mother's reputation hung over him. Can you imagine the stinging effect this would have on a young man? Some of you can relate. Some of you come from rather colorful family histories. And so here's David. With all of this drama, how does he respond? That's the question we're driving at with this message series, how do we reply to the difficult people in our lives? How do you respond when the difficult people are members of your own family? Based on these scriptures alone, I see a couple of practical lessons we can learn from how David handled his situations. So if you're taking notes, I think this is worth jotting down. Here's the the first thing that we can learn for how to deal with a difficult family member. Number one, live for the Lord above pleasing your parents. Every single one of us on some level yearns for affirmation from your mom or from from your dad. Now, some of you were raised in homes with good, godly parents who encouraged you and told you that they love you and that they want to help you and that they want to get behind you. But I bet there's quite a few others where you didn't really know how your parents felt about you. Maybe they never expressed their feelings. Maybe they weren't around enough for you to know. Maybe they straight up told you, we don't love you. And if that's the case, you are going to carry with you an even heavier sense of wanting to seek out affirmation from your parents. It'll affect every relationship, every conflict. There's always this sense of wanting to please mom and dad. But... There comes a point in time in the life of a Christian where you have to make a decision. Am I going to live for the Lord or live for my parents' approval? Am I going to live for the Lord above pleasing my parents? Let's see what David did. Let's jump back to verse 17 of 1 Samuel 17. It said, Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. Don't you wonder if there's a small part of David that just wanted to say to his dad, hey, remember when Samuel came and anointed me as the next king? You didn't didn't care about me then, and clearly you don't care about me now. All you care about are the older brothers, so you want me to go back and, and find out about how they're doing. I'm the next king. I don't need to do any of this. 
That's not what David did. Amazingly, David submitted to his father, even though he was the next king. And I think this is important for us because God is going to put authority figures in our lives. And when that authority figure gives you a command that does not conflict with Scripture, nor does it cause you to compromise your testimony, you need to submit to that authority. For some of us, that authority is our parents. And that's exactly what David did. He still submitted to his father. But there was coming a point where he was going to have to make a choice. And it happened that day he was out on the battle lines and he heard Goliath spewing his inflammatory comments. And so this is what David did. He deviated from the plan. Verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David wasn't playing around. But understand this. This was not the mission you remember what the mission was? Go bring the little care package to your brothers. Bring me back some proof that they're okay, ASAP. But David got there and he had to make a choice. Do I please my dad or do I do the thing I think God is calling me to do? And that was to stand in the gap that no other soldier was willing to stand into. Stand in the gap that the king was unwilling to stand into. And that was to face this giant and to show him what my God is capable of. And in a matter of moments, David stepped on the field, put a rock right between the giant's eyes. He fell on his back. He took his sword, cut off his head, lifted it in victory. Instantly, the Philistines fled. Instantly, David became a hero, and he gave God all the glory. Understand this. David didn't step on that battlefield because he thought, Maybe my dad will finally accept me if I could just have a military victory. He stepped on the battlefield because he was tired of hearing his God's name mocked. And I'm just wondering if there's somebody in here today who for too much of your life you've been putting your parents in the driver's seat and moving God right out of the way. And for too much of your life, you're living for the pleasing of your parents, seeking their affirmation. What if it never comes? Are you going to be able to move forward with the Lord? I still remember the first message I ever preached. I was just a 20-something intern working at this great church in Detroit, Michigan, and they gave me an opportunity to stand before the whole church and preach a message. I was sick to my stomach with nerves. I worked so hard on that message. I just wanted to make such a good impression. I couldn't believe they were giving a kid like me a chance like this. I wanted to, I wanted to do well, and I got up there, and, and I delivered the message, and in my mind, I thought, this is terrible, but after the service, you know, people from the church were coming up, and they're going, my goodness, God has given you some gifts, young man. God has anointed you. That was an incredible message, and so 
that was encouraging. And so what I did is I, I got a hold of the sermon audio and I burned it to a CD. For those of you who are under 30, a CD is a compact disc. That's what it stands for. And it was the rage of technology following the cassette tape era. And so I, I burned this message to a CD and I put it in an envelope and I sent it to my parents. So I figured in a couple of days they would call and let me know that they got it and heard the message. A couple of weeks went by. So I called up and said, hey, did you, uh, did you get the CD I sent? My mom says, yeah. Okay, what'd you think? She goes, well, there's a lot of things you shouldn't have said. And I, I really didn't like the, the way that you ha said this piece and, and uh, you know, you got a lot of work to do. I was devastated. I was devastated because it doesn't matter how old you are, you, you, you want to hear your parents say that they're proud of you. And if it was a terrible message, I don't need somebody to lie to me, but I think there's probably even another way you could say that, right? Like, I, I'm so proud of you for getting up and doing that. That had to be so difficult. And I'm sure there's maybe some things that you wish you did differently, but wow, what a future you have. And I was so crushed by the lack of affirmation, I just started questioning, is this even something that I should be doing at all? And I'll never forget, I, I walked out of my office and in, into the lobby, it was the middle of the week, and a random church person just happened to be walking in. And he goes, hey, Steve, hey, I just wanted to tell you, you know, my wife and I were just talking, we were just so moved by that message that you preached, I just believe that God has a bright future for you. And in that moment, it clicked. My job is not to win my parents' approval. My job is to live for the Lord. And if he has called me to this, if I ever get to a point in life where I have to choose between one or the other, you choose God every time. And it would be nice if we never have that place where you have to choose between the two. But if you find yourself in a place where you have to decide, am I going to please my parents or am I going to live for the Lord, choose God every time. That's what David did, and that's what you and I should do too. Amen? That's the first point on how to deal with difficult family members. Live for the Lord above pleasing your parents. Here's the second one. Don't get baited into family battles. Boy, this is so tough, isn't it? Because when somebody says something that bothers you or questions you or attacks you, you're ready to fight. Don't take the bait. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. You just get to hear my inner dialogue. <laughs> it doesn't do anybody any good. In fact, it makes things worse. Remember what David's brother said when he showed up bringing cheese and crackers to the battlefield? Verse 28 of 1 Samuel 17. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and said, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Those are fighting words. Here's Eliab. He's holding the bait in his hand. Come on, David. What you got? David didn't bite. How did David respond? Verse 30. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. Friends, sometimes we just have to turn away. David could have taken the bait. He could have gotten hooked right in. 
Oh, so now you think my job is insignificant? Uh, do you know what it's like to try to rescue a sheep from the paw of a lion or a bear? Of course you wouldn't because you've never worked a day in your entire life. You know, I'm the conceited one. I'm the conceited one. I came out to watch you battle. Uh, tell me, Eliab, what battle exactly am I watching? Because all I see is you wetting your pants every time Goliath talks. Uh, so, so help me out here. And just like that, here we go. David didn't take the bait. What did he do? He turned to somebody else, somebody who wasn't emotional, somebody who wasn't flipping their lid. He turned to somebody else. Next man up. Hey, what's going to be done for the man who takes care of Goliath? You see, when we get baited into family battles, we lose sight of who the real enemy is. Don't you find it ironic that Eliab is going after David while literally standing on the battlefield? Who was the real enemy here? It was the Philistines, specifically Goliath. And yet, he's trying to do battle with his brother. We have an enemy too. His name is Satan. So why are we fighting each other? We have to remember who the real enemy is. The enemy is not your family. Don't take the bait. You know what's interesting is this is the last mention we get of Eliab in the rest of Scripture. We, we learn nothing else about his, his life, nothing of substance. The last mentioning we have of his life is him losing his cool and snapping on his younger brother. David, however, was just getting started, which is why none of us know anybody named Eliab and all of us know somebody named David. <laughs> Listen, don't get baited into those family battles. Somebody is gonna say something that's gonna get under your skin, maybe even today. You turn away, you find somebody else, don't take the bait, it will only make things worse and it will cause you to lose sight of who the real enemy is. You know, all of us can identify with David on some level, right? We can all identify with what it feels like to be overlooked. We can all identify with what it feels like to be attacked, made fun of, questioned. But here's a different perspective to consider. What if I'm not David in the story? What if I'm the older brother? What if I'm Eliab? What if I'm the one who's bitter? Which leads me to our third point. How do you deal with a difficult family member? I must dislodge my disdain. What is disdain? Disdain is bitterness, resentment, disgust, jealousy. Maybe that's how you feel towards another family member. Maybe you have a, <clears throat> a younger brother who's happily married and you're the older sibling and you were supposed to be the one who got married and you're jealous as you deal with the pain of loneliness. Maybe you have a, a big sister who's way more successful than you. She's a homeowner, she goes on vacations and every time you're around her, you just feel like a failure. Maybe you have a family member who has the perfect body and you can't seem to shed the pounds. Maybe you have a family member who's pregnant with yet another baby and you can't seem to get pregnant. Maybe you have a family member whose kids are kind and respectful and they graduate from college and your kids are disrespectful, selfish, and lazy. And every time you're around this family member, you're just so angry and you just feel the bitterness welling up in you. 
Do you remember how Eliab was described in verse 28? It said, David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men and he burned with anger at him. It was as if the sound of David's voice caused him to lose his mind. Friends, that doesn't happen overnight. That kind of disdain has been welling up for a long time, maybe going all the way back to the day when the prophet Samuel poured the horn of oil on his youngest brother's head and not his. And maybe you carry that same bitterness where you feel like God is anointing your family members, but he's rejecting you. And if that's the case, I know this is so difficult, but it calls for some massive self-honesty for me to just say, I am jealous of this other person and it's causing in my heart pain and resentment and disgust. I have to do something about this or it is going to destroy my other relationships. The writer of Hebrews had incredible insight on this very topic in Hebrews 12, verse 14. He says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This is so key, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Defile who? Many. This is not just a you problem. This is not just a me problem. This kind of bitterness will hurt our other relationships. And we've got to get this thing rooted out of us. And this is where we have to pray, Jesus, I need help. I admit, I'm jealous and I need help. And I'm standing before you to tell you, Jesus can help you. He can help you to forgive. He can help you to release. He can help you to truly love the person that you're bitter towards. And he can help you embrace your story so that you don't have to keep comparing yourself to the rest of your family. Today can mark the beginning of a new season for you. One that is not marked by you ranting about your family on the way home from the get-together. One that is not marked by you exploding and throwing years of history at another family member in an argument. But one that is marked by breaking free from the bitterness by releasing the pain, by dislodging the dis disdain that gets stuck down in our hearts. Jesus was also from Bethlehem. Jesus was also despised by his brothers. Jesus also had a controversial birth story. Jesus was also overlooked by all kinds of people. And Jesus also stepped onto a battlefield and slayed an enemy. The enemy he slayed was the greatest enemy who ever lived. It is the enemy of sin and death. And when Jesus laid his life down on a cross, he did so to take the sins of the world, to put it upon himself, to pay for those sins that you and I don't have to, so that all who believe would not perish but have eternal life. Do you have a relationship with this Jesus? I'm not talking about believing God is real. I'm talking about intentionally inviting Jesus into your life as your Lord and as your Savior. If you're not sure of where you stand with Jesus, I want to help you today begin a relationship with him. In just a moment, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Sometimes we call it the sinner's prayer. 
It's a prayer that begins with just acknowledging, I can't save myself with good works, good intentions, or good behavior. I can't save myself, but Jesus, I believe you died in my place and you can save me. So I'm handing you the keys today. I'm handing you control. Come into my life and mold me and shape me into the man or woman you want me to be. If you've never deliberately prayed a prayer like that, I want to help you do that today. In fact, I want to ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And and if you want to pray this prayer today, I'll give you the words, but you have to pray them in faith. So I want to encourage you, repeat after me in the silence of your own heart as we pray even now. Just pray these words straight up to heaven. Jesus, today I put my trust in you. Jesus, today I put my trust in you. I can't save myself. I believe you saved me, Jesus. I believe you died in my place. And I ask today that you would forgive me of my sins. I invite you into my life. I ask that you change my heart so I could leave my old life behind and follow you. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, this is what I'd like you to do. On your programs at the bottom, there's a little box that says, I said yes. I would love for you to fill that out in just a moment after communion. Our ushers are gonna come around with bags to take offering. Just drop this thing right inside the bag and we'll be able to follow up with you and help you on this new journey of following Jesus. For everyone else, I wanna encourage you to take your next step. Right after service, when you walk out into the lobby, there's a giant sign that says next. Stop by there. Maybe you wanna join Rooted. You heard about that, an amazing 10-week experience. Starts this Wednesday. Stop by that next table. Maybe you wanna serve or you need somebody to talk to, you need some assistance. Stop by that that table or you can take out your phones right now and text the word next to 909-281-7797. One of our staff people is on the other end of that call and they'll exchange a few messages with you to help customize what your next step is gonna be. But don't stay put. Keep moving forward in the Lord. Text next to 909-281-7797. Friends, listen. We're gonna deal with a lot of difficult people in our lives. It's particularly hard when those difficult people are members of our own family. But listen. There may come a point in time where you're going to have to make a choice. And when that time to choose does, make sure that you choose to live for the Lord above pleasing your parents. At the end of the day, he's the one that we need to be pleasing. And we got to stay disciplined. Don't take the bait. Don't get baited into family battles. It'll cause us to lose sight of who the real enemy is. And if you're somebody with bitterness in your heart, let's let today be the day where I dislodge my disdain. I want to be free. Jesus can help you do that. Jesus knows you better than anyone else knows you. And he loves you not just for who you are today, but for who you can someday be. And we're going to deal with a lot of difficult people in our lives, but bank on this. Jesus will never be one of them. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus will help you deal with with those difficult people. 
but it starts with us putting our full trust in him. So let's trust in him today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, at this time, I want us to prepare our hearts to take communion. Here at Sunrise Church on the first Sunday of every month, we take some time for those who are sure of their faith in Christ to take the bread and the cup. You should have received those elements when you came in. If not, you could lift up your hand and somebody will get some to you. An opportunity for us to focus on the cross of Christ. And so in just a moment here, we're just going to give you some quiet space to confess your sins, to thank Jesus for the cross, and then Pastor Carlo is going to come back up and walk us through a time where we could take the elements together as one family of believers. So let's prepare our hearts at this time. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.